Good morning. Can you turn to somebody and give them a smile? Just for me. Come on. Turn to the other person on the other side. Come on. If you're watching online, just smile at the screen. We can feel it. This is good vibes. I've got a few announcements before we start this morning. Um, it's probably no surprise that following Jesus is a, is a big part and probably the, the only part, really, if we're thinking about church, right? I mean, it's fun to see each other. It's fun to smile at each other. It's fun to send good vibes. But following Jesus is the point, right? Um, and we had just an amazing Easter service last week. Amen? Come on. Was it fun? Yeah. We had some people make some commitments to Jesus last week, uh, which is awesome. Um, and we've got a couple things as, as just that natural progression, as the, those relationships are starting with Jesus. Um, as a church, we are focused on becoming more and more devoted apprentices of Jesus. Becoming more and more Christ-like. Amen? Um, and we have a couple things in the works right now um, to help you and resource you to do that. And the first one is called the Rooted Experience. Has anybody gone to Rooted before? All right. Um, it's an incredible 10-week experience where you're going to get in and learn just some nuts and bolts, just super practical rhythms of following Jesus. Okay. Um, we're going to be starting that. Joey Gochis is going to be leading that. We're going to be starting May 3rd at 6.30 p.m. on Tuesdays, okay? Um, and that's going to be a $20. It pays for your book. Um, if you are interested in doing that, go to our website, newlifeastoria.com. You can sign up for that, okay? Um, the class is almost full, uh, but sign up. Get on there. Sign up. Um, it's going to be really, really incredible. Um, and then we're doing a thing called table gatherings. And I'm going to put this away because I know what those are. All right. Table gatherings is the spiritual practice of eating and drinking and focusing on becoming more and more like Jesus. If you think about Jesus, what did Jesus do with his disciples, his best friends? He ate and drank with them constantly, teaching them, letting them absorb what it was to be like Jesus. Well, Jesus is not gonna be sitting with you at your table in the flesh, all right, in spirit, yes. But we're gonna be kicking off these things called table gatherings, where we're gonna be gathering around our tables, eating and drinking, and focusing ourselves on becoming devoted apprentices of Jesus. If that sounds like something that you wanna do, or you wanna be a part of, or you wanna start, we're doing a kickoff next Sunday after church, about 30 minutes after Pastor and Kayla close next week, we're going to be doing a kickoff kind of explaining just simple nuts and bolts, what a table, a t a table gathering, words are hard, what a table gathering looks like, um, materials that you know we're going to have on hand. If that's something that you're interested in and you want to be a part of, can you please go to our website, newlifeastoria.com, and there's a little form that says RSVP. Um, if you're going to be a part of that, can you please just do that RSVP? We want to make sure that we have all the materials that everybody needs. 
it would be terrible if you're like, yeah, I want to do this. And the church has, you know, three sets and you're the fourth family, right? So we want to have four sets for, or 10 sets or 15 sets to do this. We truly, truly believe that this is going to transform your family. It's going to transform you. It's going to transform your neighbor that you invite to it. Come on. We want to look more and more like Jesus and everybody enjoys a meal. Can I get an amen? Would you stand up? Close your eyes. Cross your fingers. Jesus, I want to acknowledge that life can be really overwhelming. Not necessarily in a bad way, but just there's just a lot of life. God, that there can be um, some vagueness, God, and there can be some things where it's just like we just don't feel like we're doing enough or good enough. Lord, I ask that this morning that you would create clarity in our minds, clarity in our spirit, God, and clarity in our next steps as we become more and more devoted apprentices of you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.
is so great that last week he saved several people from their sins. Amen. Is that not cool? They trusted in his word and were relieved of the sins that have been binding them for I don't know how long. Heaven was rejoicing. I want to thank you for those of you who support this ministry and allowed us to, by your faithful giving, to support the opportunity for us to have things like Fairgrounds Easter. You bought lots of Easter eggs for kids, which if anything, that's a parental draw. But they had a great time. I thank you for your sacrifice. I thank you for your, your goodness in your giving, that you really care that souls are saved. And your, your sacrifice resulted in people coming to trust Christ as their Savior. I just think that you need to recognize that that's one of the things your giving does. It gives opportunity for people to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ who may never hear the gospel in any other way, shape, or form. So we have several ways to give. Mailbox, giving box, website, church center. We're, we're pointing everybody to the website right now. Go to the website and get involved in the, the work of souls. Let's pray. Father, let them see the fruit of your sacrifice that they might be encouraged to sacrifice their lives for others as well. While our sacrifice won't save people, it will show people that you saved us. And it will show people that this sacrifice is worth it. If they would just hear the word of God and trust God, that they would have the peace of God that passes all understanding and joy that's unspeakable and full of glory. And a life that you said you came to give us that's more abundant than any other life that we could have. Thank you for faithful givers. Bless them, please. In Jesus we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's sing the next song.
Jesus for me 
but hating the dark. I want to see tribals living again and singing as one. today like like what problem do you got going through that God can't solve what issue are you struggling with that God's not struggling with at all you got to look to him as the great I am he loves you and he wants to hear your cry so let's do this for a moment let's just bow our heads and close our eyes and if if you've got something you want to bring to the throne of grace bring it right now just call upon the Lord Say, God, I've got this issue. I'm really struggling with it, and I don't know what to do. I need the great I am. Father, we've just got to mention the name of your son, Jesus, and the demons flee. The depression has no place in me. 
because you're the great I am. There is no power in hell stronger than the power of my God. We love you, Jesus. And we thank you, God, for being true to us and true to your word. Encourage our hearts today, Lord God, as we study something that is pretty close to my heart. Just give us open hearts to hear and give us eyes to see what your word's saying today. In Jesus we pray and all God's people said, amen. Y'all may be seated. Y'all may be seated. That was fun last week, wasn't it? I like watching the pictures of the kids going after the Easter eggs. Didn't know we, we didn't have an Easter bunny. We need an Easter bunny next year. That'll only offend certain people. We're starting a new series called We Are Family. And we're going to go through a sermon today on house rules. And uh, next week we'll be talking about marriage. And the week after we're going to be talking about women. And we're, next week we're going to be talking about men. And then the next week we're going to be talking about something totally different. But I'm not exactly sure what we're going to be talking about. So. so let me roll up my sleeves. I was raised, uh, I was born in 1963. Little hot. <laughs> I was born in 1963, and uh, the world changed a lot in 1963. I don't think that we recognized how different things were. Before 1963 in America, for 200 years, there were some foundational truths that our nation was um, not just built upon, but people were believing and living that made America so great. And this is not a political sermon, so get out of here if you want that, because it's not going to happen. There, there were four virtues that were taught and believed and, and lived by everyone in, in our world at that, up, to, up to 1963. And they were the virtue of marriage, a uh, relationship to which all families are built or broken. Derek, could we turn that down some so I get this ting out of my ear? Thank you. We moved the sound system and it takes a little bit to kind of settle it back down. There was the virtue of industriousness, the desire to work hard to get ahead. That was something that our nation was built upon, that if you worked hard, you could get ahead. And that's what everybody wanted to do. They wanted to get ahead. So people from other nations came to our nation. Why? Because they believed that if you worked hard enough, you, there would be a benefit to that. Amen. Amen. There was the virtue of honesty, meaning that the truth of a man's word uh, in relation to his neighbor would be kept. Like there was a time where a man's word was his bond. There was a time. And the virtue of religion, I got this word, I got to figure it out. Re relig religious God. <laughs> how God helps to bring order to our society. The benefit of having God in our life and how it relates to our culture, how it relates to our country. And starting in 1963, they started to kick those things out. Marriage stopped being as important um, the desire to work to get ahead stopped, started falling away. Uh, honesty, people stopped keeping their word and 
God, we just took them out of our lives altogether or began to take them out of our lives altogether. And that's another series for another day because we've got to lay some groundwork before we get there. Because the truth is, my home as a kid growing up had some house rules. There was things that ruled the house. There were principles that I knew were laid out by my parents that taught us that these are truths that you're going to base your life upon. In my house, there was one God, and he was taught as the one true God. There were not multiple gods. There were not strange gods. There were not weird gods. There's one God. And he ruled, ruled the house. It's the same God that ruled our nation. So in the 1960s, my parents raised us in a home where God ruled the home. And I knew growing up that God was real because of the rule or the principles that were played out in my home based upon God's word. See, the truth is whatever truth rules your house will dictate its direction. Whatever the house rules are. And again, we're not talking about laws. We're talking about principles that your house lives by. I know when I went to my grandma's house that the house rules were that God rules. Like you couldn't walk into my grandma's house without realizing that there is a God in heaven. And if you didn't believe in that God, you needed to leave right then and there. (laughs) I mean, that's just the way my grandma's house was. Um... So I, I knew that in my own home that, that I could choose to learn about this God that my parents were promoting and, and living with, or I could fight it. But I knew, I knew in my house, there were some house rules. There were some principles that my house lived by. You kept your word. You got married. You stayed married. You worked hard. And God was the central point of everything that we did. That all changed in time. To make this mean something to you, I've got to kind of go into an Old Testament story in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And just to give you some background, God freed the children of Israel from bondage and led them into this promised land. And he had to lay out some house rules for them to live by. So he gave them the Ten Commandments and then he gave them some other principles, some truths for them to live by so they would have house rules, so they would have order and they would have success in the home. He was trying to form a new nation and he wanted not just the home to be under the house rules, he wanted the nation to be under the house rules. So he organized them under rules to live life by. And the passage we're going to read today, the first four books of the Pentateuch had already been written, so so Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers had been written. Deuteronomy, in my opinion, is kind of a summary of what he's already said. Moses had laid out the people in, in this context that we're about to read. He had just laid out the Ten Commandments, which the Ten Commandments had a twofold uh, purpose. One, uh, they were principles, whereas God wanted them to live by. Moses called them laws. They're laws they would live by. And the second thing is they were foundational to their society to be successful for That nation, to be successful, they had to follow the house rules that God put in place. So let's read for a bit. Deuteronomy chapter 6. 
verse 1 says this, and this is Moses speaking to the children of Israel, and he says, Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules, that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it. So these, these rules, these house rules, were expected not only to be um, listened to, but that they would be obeyed. Like God expected, I'm going to give you these house rules, and I want you to understand them, but I want you to obey them. It wasn't enough to just hear the words of God. It's not enough to just know what the word of God says. It's expected. The expectation of God when he gives his word is that we would obey what he says. That we would do what he says. Why? Because it's the best way for us to live life. Who would know better for humans that he created how to live life than the one who made us? Amen? You create something, you're the one that most likely the best person to explain how to best use whatever you created because you know everything about it. Amen? Amen. Just want to make sure you're with me. Verse 2, he goes on to say, why, why do we want to have to obey them? That you may fear the Lord your God and that your son, you, your son, and your son's son, by keeping all the statutes and his commandments, which I command you this day, all the days of life, and that your days may be long. So he says these principles are not just for the individual, but for the nation as, as a whole. For your sons and your generations to come. The sons, the sons, sons, and the sons, sons, and the sons, 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 and the sons, right? You're just going to go on. Why? Because if these are the house rules, you pass those house rules down. If these are the principles whereby your life is built and it's the best way to do life, you pass that down to the next generation. In verse 3, he says, Hear therefore, O Israel, be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Moses warned them to be careful to do the things that God is telling you to do. I just lost my place. There we go. That you may multiply greatly, and as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. God wants to give us a life of strength and sweetness. Now, who could use a life of strength and sweetness? God gives us his word. He gives us the way to do life. And he expects us to obey it. Why? Because it's the best way to do life. It's the best way to live it. He goes on to say this in Genesis. I'm sorry, Genesis. I keep saying Genesis because I'm going there. But Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. He would also understand that it, with these house rules... We would appreciate who he is and what he's trying to do for us. And we would love him for caring for us so much. If you've had great parents, you love them. Why? Because they did the best they could to give you the best life possible. Amen. So you love them because they set you up for a successful life. But you're supposed to love him with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words in verse 6, he says, are supposed to be on your heart meaning that held closely within you, desire passionately to obey. This gets better here in a minute, just trust me. And in these words of God, you'd find your house rules. Verse 7. You shall teach them diligently to your children and talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. Let me just make a statement. You, the parent, not the school. 
Please do not get political on me today. You will not like what I say. You, the parent, not the peers of your children. We want to let our children learn from their peers. What does a 14-year-old have to offer another 14-year-old? It's not that they're not smart or they're not um, capable. For the most part, they're very emotional. Amen? Should I say it? I think sometimes we teach our kids more about politics than we do about the process of how God works. He says you're supposed to talk about them when you're sitting in your house. Like you're supposed to be talking about the words of God. If the house rules are God's rules, you should be talking about them as if they're just normal things to talk about. Scripture should be talked about normally in a home. It should be part of the conversation. When you go for walks with your kids, you should talk about their day, talk about what they're experiencing, but talk about who God is so they know who God is. Talk about them when you go to bed and you talk about them when you get up, meaning like you never stop talking about God. God expects us as parents to have house rules where the conversation is always about God. He goes on to say that um, verse 8 says, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and as frontlets between your eyes. And this is a picture of what the Jews used to do. They would, they would um, take a scripture and they would put it in a box and they would strap it to their head. And the picture, I know it sounds stupid, right? But the picture was, I'm trying to meditate and memorize this scripture. This scripture I'm trying to put into my mind so I don't sin against God, right? Or they strap it to their hand as a, as a sign that they're going to do what the word of God says. And it's a reminder that they, they want to be obedient to the word of God. You shall bind them as a sign in your hand, and they should be frontlets between your eyes. So literally, the word of God should constantly be on our mind and should be constantly evidenced by the things that we do. Not deep at all. And when people come to your home, they should know that the house rules are based on God's word. Look at verse 9. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on the gates. When they enter and when they exit, they should know your house is a God house. Do your neighbors know that your house is a God house, not just because you go to church on Sunday, but because you always talk about God, that God is the one who rules your house. You are obeying and following God in your home. Do your neighbors go, don't go to that house. It's a God house and God rules. They're crazy people. Yes, but they're happy. And when you need them as a neighbor, they will be the ones that will be there for you. To pray with you and to pray for you and to pray about you if you're not paying attention. And the scripture goes on in verse 10 and 11. It says this, and I, I put those in the wrong order, so thank you. When the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore unto your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, meaning that God says, if you obey my word, I'm going to give you a blessed life. I'm going I'm to do things for you that you couldn't do. I'm going to do things for you that you couldn't imagine. I'm going to do things for you that you didn't even have to work at real hard 
other than to have faith in me. And he says this. And I'm going to use the King James. Did we get the King James up there? Yeah. <laughs> then beware, lest thou forget the Lord, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. You know what Moses is saying? It is human nature to forget where you were and what God did to get you where you are. And he says, beware. That's why I like the King James. Beware. It's my, one of my favorite words in the Bible. Beware. Be warned. Be worried. Amen? Amen. Because I've seen that in all the years I've been uh, not just a pastor but as a Christian. The number of people who have come to Jesus and, and their lives are destroyed and ruined. Their marriages are a mess. Their home is a train wreck. And they come to Jesus, and Jesus, without any work of their own, by their just faith in Jesus Christ, he changes everything, and he gives them peace, and he gives them joy, and he gives them happiness, and gives them comfort, and he takes care of them because you obeyed the word of God. Then once you get what you wanted, then you forget the Lord. I mean, you get saved, and you get on fire for Jesus, and you never miss church, and you never miss reading your Bible, and you pray all the time, and then all of a sudden you get all the things you were longing for, and you stop doing the very things that you did before. So where the house rules were God's rules, now it's more like I rule. See, I'm saying all this because God's design for the family was to make God's word a part of everyday life. Whether it be eating, drinking, spending time together, attending church together, playing sports, we were to involve God through his word. And I know someone's going to say this, and please, I'll, I'll save you the trip to talk to me. I was raised in a religious home. Maybe you were. Maybe that was the wrong way to do it. But at least they were trying to talk about God. At least, I mean, in my, in my home, there were things that happened that I remember my dad pulling the Bible out and thinking, uh-oh. And, and helping us understand what the scripture says in relation to what we were doing. And we never liked that because no kid likes to hear no. And there's a lot of scripture that's a no. There's a lot of yes, don't get me wrong. But he never pulled it out for the yes, he always pulled it out for the no. <laughs> nah, that's not really true. See, the word of God wasn't left up to chance to let a child decide whether or not it was true or not. It was the house rules. They were the house rules. When I hear the liberal parents say, I just want to leave it up to chance. I want them to, yes, they're going to decide on their own whether it's true or not, but they're probably going to decide by whether or not you're living by the house rules or not. But you don't do that with stranger danger. Why would you do that with the scripture? Well, I just want them to learn that when somebody kidnaps them and throws them in a car and I want them to learn that on their own. What are you, stupid? <laughs> Why do we do that with the scripture? We just want them to figure it out. I have an attitude today. <laughs> See, the education of your children, especially in spiritual matters, is the most important thing you are ever going to do on this planet. It's more important than your job. It's more important than your, your whatever, your truck. I just... Don't know why I thought of that. I looked at Nick and thought truck. 
See, it's not the responsibility of the public school system whose principles are based on humanistic rules to teach your children about how to live in society. I mean, literally, our nation's laws now are, have excluded God in relation to the school district. And yet, we will let the schools teach our children rather than us teaching them ourselves. Nor is it the responsibility of the politician who believes you can legislate morality. You can make all the laws you want. People who want to break the laws are going to break the laws. See, here's what's important to hear this morning in Deuteronomy 6, verse 20. When your son asks you in time to come. When your son asks you. Not when your son asks the preacher. Not when your son asks the teacher. Not that they don't have answers. But do you really want others teaching your children what is meant to be taught by you? Do you want the house rules of somebody else to be the house rules of your house? Are you okay with that, teaching that to your children? When your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and statutes and the rules that our Lord God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, then you shall say to your son, then you shall say to your son, then you shall say to your daughter, then you shall say to your children, because it's your responsibility to teach your children the house rules. Amen. We were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt. Teach them your testimony. Teach them where you were. You don't have to go into all the gory details. They don't need all the horrible stuff. Just tell them that you needed God and you found peace in God. The Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. I was in a bad place and God saved me from that bad place through Jesus Christ. And the Lord showed signs and wonders great and grievous against Egypt and against Pharaoh and against his household before our eyes. And he brought us out, of, out from there that he might bring us in and give us the land that we swear unto the fathers, our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. And it, is, and it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do this commandment before the Lord God that he has commanded us. It will be good for us. It will make the best home. When your son asks you, not the parent, not the, I'm sorry, the parent, not the public school, not the politician, not the peer, but the parent. This is not the best sermon post-Easter that I could bring up. And I believe that sometimes this can be a little overwhelming. Like if this is your first time since Easter to come visit with us, I'm just being honest and telling you the truth. See, I believe that the problem in America is that we're regulating the teaching of the truth to others and not taking on responsibility for ourselves to teach what the house rules are. We leave it up to chance for them to know what God says and who God is. And I believe that the problem in America is that we're not teaching our children, our children. I, I don't care what they do out there. I do care what we do in here as a people of God. Now remember, as I said earlier, that Moses was telling them to teach the house rules, but they had to teach the house rules that they had. Because it can be a little overwhelming as a parent to know, what do I teach my kid? 
Okay, now it's my responsibility. I've got to teach them. What am I going to do? If you're, if you're single and you're not even married, you're not even thinking about what you're going to teach your kids. You need to start thinking about what you're going to teach your kids right now. Now's the time. If you're newly married and you don't have kids, you need to start figuring out how to te- what you're going to teach your kids when you have them. Or at least what your house rules are going to be when, you're, when your nephews and nieces come over. Hey, Amen, that was fun. And we could spend, uh, we could spend time studying Exodus, talking about salvation. And we could spend time talking about Leviticus, and we can talk about sanctification. And we could spend time in Numbers talking about obedience. But I thought, if, I got, if you give me just a little more time, we're going to take some things out of Genesis and teach you what the house rules should be in your house. You can take Genesis chapters 1 through 4, and there's some amazing principles that you could teach your children that if they become the house rules, it will help them in, in their later life in the ways they mature. Let me make this also clear before I begin. Many of the subjects that I'm going to touch on are perceived as being more complex than I'm going to teach them. I think the problem with complexity is we make things complex so we don't have to comply. If we confuse it, then we don't have to obey it. And I am just, um, I'm just a simple enough person to just take it as God says it and then live it that way. The Bible tells us God's not the author of confusion, so a lot of scripture doesn't come with much explanation. It does come with the idea that we're supposed to obey what we know. So I'm not going to uh, put the scriptures on the wall. You're going to have to go through the scripture yourself. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. And I'm going to have to put my glasses on. So, By the way, Derek Wall is 33 today. And he doesn't wear glasses yet. His parents do. So I know it's coming. What do we teach our children? What, what are we, what are we, what's supposed to be the house rules? What are the principles of our house? Teach them that there's a God in heaven and there's only one. In the beginning, God. Well, where was he before? It doesn't say. It doesn't say. What was he doing? I have no idea. All I know, in the beginning was God. Well, where did he come from? I don't know. He says it as if he's God. He doesn't have to explain himself all the way out. He expects us just to believe what he says. He says, in the beginning, God. Uh. That's as far as you got to go. Why is that important? Because when my daughter was born with liver disease and she was getting ready to be transplanted, I needed to know that my, the house rules that I was raised in, in my, from my family, that there was a God that I could call upon. And I wasn't calling upon 16 different other gods to try to figure out which God to call upon. There was only one God who could help me, and his name is I Am. And I knew that he had the, if he had the power to do all the things that the Bible says, that he had the power to help me in that situation. I needed to know there was one God and that he was available. Teach your children that there's a God in heaven. Because one day they're going to need that God. You don't know what they're going to go through. You don't know where they're going to be. You don't know what, it's going to, what the experience is going to be. But they need to know, in my house I was raised, that there was a God. Let me find him. 
Teach your children that God created everything. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I know you like the show, but there was no big bang that made this all happen. I know, we're not going to like... See, that's, that's because the house rules, as many of us are raised in, was the house rules of the school district. The house rules of the culture. We did not evolve from monkeys. In fact, we were created in the image of God. That was fun. Why is that important? Because when I was in school, I didn't have a problem with evolution because I didn't believe it. There was no amount of convincing could change the fact that I believed that God created everything and that that's how it happened. How did he do it? He spoke and it became. God says the word, let there be light. And ta-da! There was light. How did he do it? I don't know. He spoke it. He's God, right? You say, well, you're a fool. You have this, uh, this warped view of faith. No, I just believe that what God says is true. That's the rule of the house. God said it. That's enough for me. Romans chapter 1 verse 19 says, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, has been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so they are without excuse. Scripture says all you got to do is look in creation and see that God created it. It didn't just pop out of thin air or it didn't just evolve over millions of years. I know, I know, I know, I know. You're going to say all sorts of things about what do you do with the millions of years of dinosaur bones. and You're banking everything on bones of dead things. And trusting that man got it right. So you can either trust man, you can trust man if you want, or you can trust God. I know, now we're going to get into the science issue, and, but science says, and science says, I just know what the scripture says. And I believe the science when it lines up with the scripture, but I don't believe the scripture when it lines up to the science. I always believe the scripture first. I don't know what to do. Genesis 1.27. This is going to get me in trouble. I may lose my job. <laughs> so God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Created him. He created him. <coughs> Should have put that one on the wall. <laughs> Male and female created he them. There's a lot of gender confusion going on in our world right now. The house rules are God made male and female. I'm not going to go into any greater detail. I know what the world says. I know what the, the culture says. I know what the school's teaching. But in my house, what rules is the word of God. So I'm going to give you something. that I don't have permission to, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. Because I believe the heart of gender confusion comes from two places. But I'm only going to address one today. 
We don't make space for people who don't fit into the view of what male and female is. Be careful. Be careful with what I said. Because if you read your Bible, you read the story of Esau and Jacob. And you'll find Esau fitting into the mold that we believe that a Napa man should be. If you're going to be a man, you've got to be a hunter. If you're going to be a man, you've got to be hairy. Come on, he was a hunter and he was hairy. And if you're going to be a man, you've got to be a hater. You've got to have a little anger and you've got to have a little edge. Come on now. You know I'm right. And that's our view of a, man, of a man. That's what a man is. So we raise our, our little boys with the image of they're supposed to look like this and act like this and be like this. But what do you do with a Jacob? Jacob liked to cook and clean and take care of himself. He cared about, he cared about what clothes he wore. It mattered how he cooked the meal. There must be something wrong with him. See, we don't make space for a Jacob like that. But can I tell you something about Jacob? He wrestled with God and won. That's how tough he is. But we, got, we make no space for that. So we give them options that come from confusion. Instead of cultivating how God created them to be. What, what do you do with a woman who's a warrior? What do you do with a woman who likes to fight? I'm not talking about being a brawler. That's a whole other scripture. <laughs> I'm talking about somebody who's, who likes to lead. What do you do with a woman? Yeah, there we go. <laughs> I get it. I get it. We make no space for that. If you've got a little girl that's a leader, we try to tear that down. You need to be submissive, young lady. Make, if she's a tomboy, she's in twice the trouble. We make no space for them to be a warrior like, like Deborah who is a leader in Israel. We don't know what to do with them. Because we think a good Christian woman is this meek and mild and calm and quiet. I don't know how long you've been in church, but I haven't been around, been around with a whole lot of women that are like that. Most of them are. But how many of you women feel like you're wrong if you actually have to provide some form of leadership? I've learned that over time. We still view women as weaker. And if they want to fight, they must be wrong. So they've got to go out in the world and figure out what the world says about me because I don't fit into the mold of what people say I am. God made them male and female, but you better read the scriptures because he made them different. That was fun. Let's move on from that one. Genesis one thirty one. I put my glasses back on. And God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good, and the evening and the morning was the sixth day. Teach your children that God created everything in six days and rested on the seventh. And you want to know how you teach that? You work six days and you rest one. God literally created the, the, the format where how we're supposed to live everyday life. But when you're working seven days a week, all the time you're working, all the time you're working, all you're doing is teaching your kids not to rest. Let me give you the scripture, Deuteronomy 5.13. This is before Moses said, 
teach your children. He said, six days shall you labor and do all your work, but the seventh is a day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do no work, you or your son or your daughter. And that doesn't mean you can't go watch sports or go do something fun or do something you enjoy. It means stop working. Teach your children that life is not about work 24-7. That the reason the parents are burnt out and yelling and screaming all the time is because they won't take a day off and rest and teach your children that it's okay to rest. Okay, that was a whole other response I thought I'd get. It goes on to say, you and your son and your daughter and your male servant and your female servant, your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or your sojourner that's within your gates or your male servant or your female servant may rest as well as you. Woo! Let's teach our children how to not get stressed out and not get burnt out. Take a Sabbath day turn everything off at 5 o'clock in, in the afternoon. Turn your phones off. What if an emergency comes through? They'll pick it up the next day. What if somebody dies? They're dead. I'm just saying. That's the excuse you guys use. It's like, well, well, what if something happens? Like, is that the way you view your phone? Like, something bad always comes through? Or you just can't rest your mind? Is the problem is that you don't really trust God enough to take care of the things that are going on that you can't handle because you don't know they're happening. Okay, that was fun. I'm going to skip that next one. <laughs> Genesis 2.24. I'll find it. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother. Teach your children there's a time to move out. <laughs> I'm just saying there's a time for them to mature and to handle life on their own is what I'm saying. And it's not that you don't help your children when they're in difficult times. I mean, don't. that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is... There's a point to where they need to leave their mother and father. And that doesn't just mean physically leave. It means emotionally leave. That you don't rely on your parents for everything forever. If you've done the house rules right, they'll trust God instead of you. Okay, that was free. I'm going to keep going. And they should become one flesh. The man and his wife are both naked and not ashamed. Sometimes I wish I could just preach fluffy, fun stuff. Teach your children that God created marriage to bring strength to humanity. And how two becoming one, I want to be careful because of the age of people that are in the room right now. Two becoming one is a supernatural thing. And when you have relationships outside of the marriage bonds, you cause confusion because you're taking something that is spiritual and you're making it superficial because there's no commitment or covenant there. But you're going to let the school districts teach your children about sex, aren't you? There, I said it. 
We leave them with a life of guilt and shame because they've done it wrong instead of teaching them, at least giving them the opportunity to know what it's really about. You still online, Deborah? <laughs> Teach your children what happens when they sin. That's Genesis chapter 3. Teach them there's always going to be somebody named Satan who's going to tempt them to do wrong. Teach them that once they sin against God, they'll feel shame and they'll want to blame and become bitter. Come on. Teach them that they'll feel distant from God and they'll live in fear because that's what sin does. Don't just do it when they've sinned. Teach them about it before they've sinned so when they sin, they actually experience it and go, oh, mom and dad were right. How many of you would like that win? <laughs> Teach them that sin can be forgiven, but somebody has to pay a price for it and his name is Jesus. See, we just teach them that when they sin, they're wrong. We don't teach them what really happens within their hearts, and how it breaks them, and how it ruins them, and how it hurts them. And how many of you, because of your testimony, struggled with sin, and felt bad about yourself, and felt lonely, and felt alone, and felt distant from God. How many, how many of you have felt distant from God because of sin that you've committed in your life? I remember as a teenager praying to God, please come close to me. And it was like, no, because my sin was keeping me from him. I hate it. But nobody told me that that's what happens when you sin. I just thought there was something wrong with me. And there's only six honest people in the room because I know the rest of you felt that distance. In my house, there was a picture of Jesus on the wall with his arms stretched out and I could see the nail holes in his hands and the nail holes in his feet and the blood that came from his side and it just kept reminding me that there is a savior that gave his life for my sins and that I grew up in a home where my parents taught me the house rules are that if you sin there's a savior his name is Jesus call upon him and you'll be forgiven I didn't have to live with those things I didn't have to dwell on those things I didn't have to hide from those things I could actually deal with those things through the shed blood of Jesus Christ Keeping these commandments in full or these rules, these laws, making them principles in your home is impossible to do well. But teaching them to your children, teaching God's word to your children and making them house rules will go a long way to making successful children. And if we want a godly nation, it's not going to come from all the other junk that people are attempting to do. It's going to come from house rules. So many today want to downplay the influence of parents. You parents think that you have no power in your children's lives. But it was my parents who taught me that there is a God. And that he created everything. And that he loves me and he forgives me and he'll save me. They taught me about what marriage was in that. They taught me how to raise my own kids in that. And it all was on the house rules. See, if you train up a child the house, and the house rules are the word of God, you'll not only sanctify that soul, but you'll send them out to a culture that is anti-Christ. And at least allow them to have something to say, I remember the house rules my parents taught me, 
and I can base my belief on what they taught me versus what the world's teaching me. Do not downplay the influence you have on your children. It's greater than politics, public school, the peer group the children have. You worry about the school, you worry about the internet, you worry about friends having greater influence on your children, but who decides what school your children attend? Who decides? Who makes that decision? And if you're not teaching your children, you're letting them teach your children. Things that you need to be responsible for. Who decides what shows your children watch? You. Who decides what friends your children spend time with? Hey, there's, there's some friends in my life that I had when I was a kid that my parents wouldn't let me be around because they weren't good for me. And probably, I probably wasn't good for them either. Who's going to answer the questions they might have? Who do you want your kids going to? Who do you want them asking, what do I do about this? I'm experiencing this. What do I do about it? I'm, I'm confused about this. Who do you want them going to? See, I believe they want to listen to the parent. They might not act like it when they're teenagers, but they do. My marriage, my work ethic, my character, my Christianity is all the result of the house rules my parents taught. I had to make the choice to make them my house rules. See, your family is the most important life group you'll ever have. And you're supposed to be leading it, moms, dads. Because when your son asks you, Why are we believing in God? You need to teach them. When the school district tries to teach them something that you don't believe, you at least give them something to say. The house rules are we're trusting God's word. What does God's word say about that? I could have gone on into being your brother's keeper, being a good neighbor, don't get drunk like Noah. Okay, I thought that was funnier than it came across. <laughs> There's so many things the scripture teaches you that, to teach your kids that are simple lessons to teach. Don't make them so difficult. Don't make them so hard that you get confused by it. And they get confused by it. In the beginning, God. There is a God. In the beginning, God created in the beginning, God created everything. He's the creator. And if he can create everything by his word, his word can be trusted to create a good life for you and for me. Those are the house rules. We're going to talk about marriage next week, but it's not going to do you any good to have a good marriage if you're not going to base it on the house rules. We're going to talk about being a the woman that God's created you to be on Mother's Day. But if you're not going to follow the house rules, you're going to struggle to find out who you are as a person. We're going to talk about men, what it, what it is to be a, a, a father and a husband. 
But if you're not going to follow the house rules, then we're not going to go anywhere. You're just going to be Homer Simpson <laughs> or Archie Bunker, which you didn't laugh that much because some of you are far beyond <laughs> the age of knowing who Archie Bunker is, which is a scary thought. Not really. Guys, recognize the value of the house rules. When your kids come home, even if they're adults and they come into your home, it's comforting for them to know that there's house rules, that God is there. Maybe they may, God might not be in their home, but God's in your home. And you'll find that when they really have a need, when they really have a problem, when they really have a struggle, they're going to come to where that foundation is. They're going to come to your home. Because you taught them to trust in this God. You taught them to believe what this God says. You taught them to obey this God. And even when they don't, they know they can come and be forgiven by that same God. Please don't minimize the power of the house rules. And stop letting everybody else teach your children. You can do this. You can do this. It's, I just took a few verses out of Genesis and played with them. And it's, it's simple. One of the things we've done as a church is we've, we've put Angelo in a position to where he's doing these table gatherings. And one of the things about table gatherings that I love is it starts with family first. We want your family to gather around the table and talk about God. Put God first. Spend time with God. Doesn't mean you can't have others at the table. Don't go getting all goofy on me. But we want to include kids, not exclude kids from these table gatherings. Why? Because they need to be around adults hearing them talk about God. Not just sitting in church listening to me ramble on sitting at home and listening to their father talk about who God is to him. Listening to their mother talk about what God has done in her life. Listening to a friend of the family who's sitting at a table with them talk about the power of God in their life. It all starts with the house rules. Let's stand. Father, I know this, to me, I, I feel like it was a lot. But I just keep thinking about that part where when the son's son asked, or when the son asked the father, or the son asked the mother, what do these things mean? That we would give the answer to them. Not leave it up to chance or leave it up to culture. Leave it up to society to give them what the scripture says. Father, this next generation desperately needs to know that there is a God that is in heaven. That created everything. That loves them. That cares for them and that will save them from their sins. Will give them hope for a happy, happy family. And will always be there for them. 
Father, my house rules come from my relationship with you. That's all it is. You've been this one true God in my life, my whole life. I thank you for parents that taught me that. You've been my savior for a number of years. You forgave me of some sin that I committed, especially when I was a teenager. You still loved me enough and didn't cast me off and didn't kick me out. But you cared for me at the time that I needed you the most. You've been there the darkest days of my life. And you've been there at the best days of my life. In my house, you rule. In my house, you rule. And I know that's true for several other people in the room, Lord God. But just on the chance, Father, there might be somebody who's struggling with who's raising their kids. Maybe it's time for them to seek you in a little, in a new way taking on the responsibility that you gave them, that we would teach them. You've, you've given us so much. We, we need to give back by teaching our children that you're a good God. We love you, Jesus. Heads bowed, eyes closed. If you're a parent and you're struggling with this issue, Maybe you're letting others teach your kids or maybe you're, you're just struggling with how to teach them. What to teach them. With heads bowed and eyes closed, would you just do me a favor and say, raise your hand and say, Pastor, pray for me. I need help raising my kids. Amen. I need help. Father, these are parents that want their children to know that there's a God in heaven. That he loves them, that he cares for them, that he created them. And Father, I want my children to know that you're always there for them. Give us wisdom and courage. wisdom to know what to say and the courage to say it. To not let society dictate what our children believe. But help us to help them see the scripture is true and real and right and good and best for them. Father, I want to pray for the married couples next week and that you'd prepare their heart to hear something that might really help them have the best marriage possible. Father, I love this series we're in. To me, it's, it's, it's exciting to take your word and apply it to our lives. Let the house rule today. Let your principles become our practices. We love you so. Jesus, we pray and all God's people said, Guys, thanks for coming today. God bless. We'll see you next week.